handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I'm your host, J.O. Covan. It's Monday, October 3rd, in the year of our Lord, 2022, 11.47 a.m. Eastern. Boy, oh boy, it's been a few weeks off, but um, I really didn't take any time off. I just did a ton of stuff on the Patreon page, continued with Making Podcasts Great Again. Um, and, you know, I think three people signed up for the Patreon, so the experiment... Uh, you know, like many things I've done in comedy, the experiment failed. Um, but here I am back with uh, free complaining every week until I end my comedy career, which uh, could any any day now. But uh, good news, obviously, I don't. I want to transition very quickly from the depressing tone to uh, some optimistic news, if you can call it that. Finally laid down an ultimatum with the company uh, purporting to produce Half Blackface as we approach the five-month anniversary of the second taping and the one-year anniversary of the first taping. I gave a drop date of uh, October 14th, which is the five-month anniversary, and I said, if I don't have a contract and a second edit by October 14th, I expect either the company itself to stop outsourcing it to a third party and to edit it. Uh, themselves and put it out uh, expeditiously or I want an offer to purchase both the audio rights for the album from the first uh, taping uh, but basically all rights to both tapings um, so that I can reap 100% of the profits uh, from streaming and sales because I think that is at least owed me after the in, in, incredible incredibly depressing debacle that it has become and I was told that uh, yes those terms are, are, are reasonable and fine, so it is possible that within two weeks I will own the shows finally and just simply hire an editor myself to get this out as quickly as possible. Um, my dreams will not come true with this, obviously, because with if it's just me putting it out, that means um, there's 0.0% chance of any platform uh, purchasing it or, or streaming it. Um, so all this, all this has been done for nothing. All it's done is delayed my material for a year. That's literally all that's happened. Um, uh, I lost promotional opportunities when you consider what I could have easily done with a publicist and the show billions when I was on billions, that was the, the initial goal, knowing that I could produce a special myself with, with, with independent people within two months. Uh, the fact that in four, four, four and a half months it wasn't ready was uh, obviously disappointing. But now we're approaching a year. So uh, my goal is to get it produced one way or the other. That is now my priority. Um, my, my, my dreams, my goals, my ambitions uh, all have succumbed to uh, outside uh, the inept, uh, inept work of, of outside parties Um so that's the breaks. That's that. It teaches me a hard, tough lesson uh, that I didn't think I needed to learn. I already had 
deep skepticism and cynicism about the comedy business, but you know, uh, nothing will make you want to quit more than the biggest thing you've ever done getting fucked up after 19 years in the business or attempting to be in the business. Um, so the good news is, uh, you know, one way or the other, this thing will be out before the end of the year. So it'll make a great stocking stuffer for the comedian fan in your life. Uh, but it's also, um, it, it will also most likely represent the end of making podcasts great again, as far as I'm concerned, because for, for reasons I don't need to get into, but, uh, there's not a week that goes by that I'm not frustrated with some aspect of, of that show. Um, not the least of which is just the fact that I haven't been able to transition. I can't, it's one of those things where I go, okay, so I have millions of fans of the videos, but that only translates to a several thousand fans of the podcast, which then only translates into several dozen paid fans who pay money for some content or the other. Now, my dream would be if we have anywhere between three and 10,000 listeners of the podcast, depending on the week, my dream would be, oh, if I put this out on my website for $10, the special that you've heard so much about that I'm so proud of, and that represents a culmination of, of almost two decades of work and, and four decades of life um, in terms of the stories I'm sharing and then the quality of the work, you'd like to think, okay, you're a fan of mine, not a fan of stand-up, but this is the one thing. This is the one thing. It's a one-time thing. It's, it's my first special. You'd like to think, okay, if we have 6,000 listeners, 6,000 people will spend $10 to buy my first special, which is, which is fucking great. But I know that's not going to happen. I know it's going to be like 312 people buy it. And while not disparaging those 312 people, it's like you just have to at some point go, I can't do this anymore. I have not cultivated a fan base that, that likes stand-up, and I have not cultivated a fan base that likes to spend money. Obviously the exceptions uh to this should should obviously ignore this but it's like without singling there's no singling out any individual it's just that my aggregate fan base is just you know it is what it is it's people who are bored who like impressions and that's it like they don't appreciate half of them don't appreciate the nuances i i have people on facebook i'm and and then the things that will happen when the special comes out. So, so if the special seems like a sad event, it is, <laughs> um, even though the special itself is great. But I will quit Facebook and I will quit making podcasts great again because these are the two. Th these are two things that I'm only there. I'm only continuing those two things: being on the worst, useless social media app and continuing a podcast that I wanted to quit over a year ago. Because I want to reach the audience that I have and the social media algorithms no longer allow me to reach my own fans. So at least with the podcast, Making Podcast Greg, and I have a direct audible line to thousands of people who like something that I do and have taken the monumental effort of clicking subscribe on a website. So I need to reach those people. But once I'm done reaching those people, whether all of them buy it or none of them buy it, then the utility of that show is is far outweighed by the uh, irritation that continuing to do the show. And do me a favor, don't fucking tweet or post or tag anybody when I say this. Somebody once did that and it fucking infuriated me. It was like, clearly this is not something, this is something I'm sharing here. Um, but uh, that's, just, that's just an update. Um, but Facebook, it will be done. So um, uh, possibly Instagram, um, because, because at some point it's just, if this special doesn't take off, it, it is what it is. But that's that's a wrap. Um, because you start to delude yourself into thinking, well, I did this for... Why do I do a podcast? Why am I on social media? I started as a stand-up comic. That's been the goal. And you can lose sight of that. Um, you know, if it's not... If it's no longer supporting the real goal, you know, I think a lot of people, people I work with, people who I know, you can get dragged into, well, the money's good. I keep doing it for the money and like, I'll validate it in some way. But the truth is podcasting is fine enough. Um, there's people who do it better than me, obviously, um, who that's their primary thing. That's their, that is their thing. But podcasting was always a side thing to me. Um, that I hoped something I did, some element of my talent would break through turned out to be impressions that would rise everything you know i see so many impressionists on tiktok 
And some of them are really good, but they're so fucking lame at comedy. They have no writing skills. They have no, like I see them on posting clips from, from, from shows at comedy clubs and they fucking suck. Like they suck at comedy and it doesn't matter. So I'm in an ecosystem now where the skills that I've honed as a stand-up comedian are, are, you know, they're very much at the, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound level of usefulness. So at some point, you know, I, you just, you get, you get frustrated and you, and you just, you realize you're doing these other things because they validate you, but they're not, you're, you're losing sight of the goal. The goal is to be a working stand-up comedian, a full-time working stand-up comedian. Have I made enough money to quit my day job? Yes. Have I made enough money to never have a job again? No. So what job would I prefer? Full-time stand-up comedian. But it's not happening. I've been um, ignored by 99% of agents and managers and rejected by the one that returned uh, 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 an email to a, to a fan who was a friend, which, which I was very grateful for that. But at the same time, I was like, if it wasn't a friend of the person reaching out, they probably would have never given the courtesy of a reply either. But I, I want to keep perspective and realize that this 20, almost 20 year journey to, to doing stand, of, of doing stand-up comedy was always about being a stand-up comic. And I don't enjoy the other stuff enough to let that be the core of my comedy existence. Like I don't enjoy podcasting enough to be like, well, it's paying some money. No, you know what? My, my, as I get older, I don't know. Do I have a year left? Do I have 30 years left? Do I have 50 years left? Do I have six months? We don't know. But, you know, when you lose a few relatives and you're getting a little older and you start to see that your, your day job is a little bit of a dead end, you, you, need to, you, need to, you need to find things in your free time that fulfill you or, or give you enjoyment. Um, don't have to be shallow things. It could be studying. It could be writing a book. It could be family. It could be all sorts of things, obviously. But outside of performing stand-up comedy... None of these other things are are that like are are enough validation. Like I I find it almost insulting how many people like my impressions and don't even give my stand up a try. How they don't see, they they don't even make the connection. It is insulting. It's not intentionally insulting. It's not like a crime that they're committing against me. But it but it but it it it, it feels insulting because it's like. Would it matter if I was creating really funny things behind the voices or could I just read the alphabet in the voices and, and it would make 99% of the same people happy because I see other garbage impressions and I see good impressions with garbage content behind them or, or, or jokes behind them getting kind of equal or more praise. So it, like at some point you just go, I'd rather not feel humiliated even if it's not the intention of people it is it is how it feels it feels degrading and i know this may sound pretentious but so be it like i've worked too hard and i'm too good at what i do to just be a fucking clown show um and all these things would be fine side hustles and if, if stand-up were propelling me the way I want it to, I'll keep doing the podcast, I'll keep taking that ad money and that Patreon money, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just, um, you know, I've, everywhere I turn in this business, it's disheartening or insulting. It's one or the other. Either I, you know, I, I, I and that includes, I mean, I don't need to spell certain things out, but that, you know, I don't want to do most of the things that I'm doing in comedy anymore. Um, but stand up is the one thing I want to do. And it's the, it's the most difficult thing for me to break through in, which is weird. You know, my career started with a killer set on late night television, basically. Um, 15, 15 years ago yesterday. How about that? I just, I didn't even realize it. 15 years, 15 fucking years ago yesterday. While, while in, <laughs> While a sleazy lawyer was propositioning um, the person I was seeing at the time, I was in L.A. Uh, getting, getting, making my late night debut and I fucking crushed it. And I had dinner, I think, at a Chinese restaurant with my web designer uh, in L.A. and then came home the next day because I had a day job that I had to work. Um, 
I think I may have even taken a fucking red eye. I, like, I didn't even get to enjoy or feel like a big flex from that. Um, but my career, you know, I was obviously doing it for a couple of years before then, but 15 years ago yesterday, I didn't even, I just realized that looking at the date. 15 years ago yesterday, I was on The Late Late Show. And I've stuck with it that long. And it's so weird because usually people who have killer debuts on late night TV don't find themselves wandering in the comedy desert for a decade plus. But that's what happened. And I kept at it because every every few years I would either make an album or appear on something or I'd have a viral video that would just keep me keep me going and going. Yeah, no, I clearly people every so often recognize my talent. And one day in the aggregate, they will recognize what I bring to the table. And the truth is that that didn't happen. Even when I became somewhat famous over the pandemic, it, it yielded no extra industry interest or support. It didn't lead me to many a, a good percentage of comedy fans who are interested in anything beyond free impression videos on Twitter, and that's okay. That, like I said, in the individual, in the individual cases, there's no crime, there's no insult on an individual basis. Although when people ask me stupid questions or give me shitty suggestions, I do find that insulting. It's like clearly you don't respect my talent, work, or expertise, if you can call it that, in the field of comedy. But in the aggregate, it's just like oh. Whatever I did, even though I cast this huge net of millions of people, I ended up just corralling very disinterested, quote unquote, fans. And that was my best shot. You know, I've, I've had many shots and I've tried to do the best I can with all of them, whether it was being on Adam Carolla. But you know what? Carolla kept turning more and more to the right. So by the time I did my 10th appearance on the show, for which I was grateful for the opportunity because nobody else was giving me a shot. I um his his audience had gotten too like right wing and there were there were no longer people like me who were like well I'm I'm politically middle or left but I still like the comedy it had become too much of a shift to bitter white guys complaining so and there's cookie complaining and then like when I got on the Lebertart show another thing I crafted on my own just from videos that 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 I tweeted at them you know I'll stand by this till till the day I die. The producer, I think, was jealous. I wrote it in a blog, but the but the producer um, kind of set me up. Like I did an offensive video for somebody that was a fan of the show that had actually asked for. Um, okay, hold on, guys. Shut the fuck up. Thank you, Cookie. Good girl. Hey guys. Um, me and Cookie were going as Ike and Tina for Halloween this year. Um, <laughs> but, you know, a, a, a producer, I, uh, I've given the story and you can read the blog. It says, uh, who canceled, who canceled Trump gots on the Dan Levitard show. But the point is these things kept coming my, I kept making things happen, which is what they always tell you to do, right? You gotta, you gotta, you, you don't need the industry. You can make it. Well, I, I made many things keep happening for myself with no help. And yet nothing ever built from that until the pandemic. And I finally thought it had happened, but I, it was sort of fool's gold, I guess, is what I would, I would refer to it. It was still gold. It was still money and, and, and some exposure for sure. But, it, but it, I'm, I'm sort of almost back where I started. I'm a little ahead of where I started in terms of the comedy business. But it's, you know, I had a friend uh, who's producing a show at a, at a third rank, a third tier Manhattan comedy club. And I don't say that as an insult to the club. I'm just acknowledging its status in the hierarchy of Manhattan comedy clubs. I'd be happy to perform there. He's producing a show there on on one night a week. I don't know if it's a monthly or a weekly, but, you know, my name was like selected as like a who who's this? I need to see tape on this person. Now, I'm not above that, of course, but it was just, it was sort of recognition that like you could Google me and figure out who the fuck I am and you'll find a lot but it was just this like, don't, you know, don't know him, don't pay. But you'll know some, you'll know if some manager goes, I have a TikTok cunt who has 500,000 followers. They'll be like, oh, well, headline him and give him fucking, we'll lick his asshole and headline him. Absolutely. What has he got? Nine minutes of hacky material with some voices? Great. As long as people come in here at least once, we'll give him a spot. But me, I get the fucking, who the fuck is this treatment? Um, Part of me, of course, understands that, but it's like at, at some point you, you, you're 20 years in almost. It's like, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm over the indignities. It's OK. I, I understand. Like I said, on the individual basis, 
almost no one's doing anything wrong in the in the all the stories I'm complaining about. But in the aggregate, they weigh on me. So when the special comes out, you know, it's it was it was if the special had been handled correctly, it was like a Hail Mary, but a Hail Mary thrown by Patrick Mahomes. Like, yeah, there's nothing guaranteed. But if there's anybody throwing a Hail Mary, I'd like it to be Patrick Mahomes because he's got the arm shake. That was what I was setting up. That's that's that was the plan. A, 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 a perfectly timed, perfectly executed special. I executed it perfectly. I laid out the timeline and it was fucked up. But it's like at some point, the fuck ups are just in the aggregate too much to take to continue this sort of fool's errand of like, I'm going to be a stand up comedian, everybody. And I don't know. Um, there's still great stuff on the Patreon. I'm going to continue that for the end of the year. And, and like I said, the special will determine so much of of how much I continue. If the special is a wild success, <laughs> then, hey, maybe the maybe I'm motivated to keep doing the Patreon. Like, there's a lot of good stuff on the Patreon. Um, the Mitch McConnell cooking videos are up. But those don't even get watched by the people who subscribe to the Patreon. So it's like I don't – my point is it's it, as much as this sounds like a complaint right now, it's really more of a – what am I doing? And and not even in my usual angry sense, but literally like with my life, what am I doing? Because I know I have the talent. I've gotten exposure three or four times in my career, like wider exposure where I gained fans, but nothing sort of built from that. And and now I'm more frustrated than than excited with 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 comedy and and you know I find myself getting very angry. I, there's people on Facebook who I think they like like every fucking post. I'm like, there's no way you even got that fucking joke. Like, and I know that's such a weird complaint, but and maybe it's just I, I've become so on edge with comedy in general. But when I see somebody that I know doesn't get that, like like I'll I'll post a joke that's for like you know ten people. And then some, some, some folks that I know, I just know, I'm like, why are you liking that? Like, it's like in one respect, you're like, I, I, I appreciate it, but it's like, that's, you don't have to like everything. And when you like everything, it diminishes like, oh, you just, you just, are you a bot? Are you like a human bot? That's just like, I'll like this post. I don't, I don't get it. Like, that's another thing I just don't get. Or I'll, I'll post something on Twitter and like somebody will retweet. I'm like, you, you don't even watch that show. You don't watch get why are you re, I don't get why you're retweeting it and I know this is a weird thing to be hostile about but it's it's it'd be a lot easier if, if I could ignore all of it but instead I'm like hyper aware of everything that goes on in my comedy career and it's just little things like that become nuisances and they shouldn't be I'm I'm, I'm admitting they shouldn't be so what at what point do you just say oh it's me like I don't whether it whether it was destined to fail or whether I'm just not built for the modern comedy landscape, it's not, it's not for me. And and you have to adjust. You have to mentally adjust to that and, and realize um, it's not happening. It's not going to happen. It's not for you. Um, but before I acknowledge that, I at least have to fucking strip off the, the bullshit accessories to comedy that I'm doing, like podcasts and stuff. Um, and then every so often somebody will say something that you really appreciate and you'll go, oh, okay, I'm good for another two. Like I've got a bunch of cameo orders came in and those, those feel like weird validation and I shouldn't, I shouldn't be getting validation from any of this stuff because it's a dangerous mentality to have to sort of be like, oh, today, um, some famous people shared my videos. Well, good. I guess, I guess I'm somebody again. Uh, and, and of course that's not true it, it, either way it doesn't matter um, but it's 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 deeply frustrating as you can imagine and and that's that's a sign when your own fans who are doing nothing wrong start to irritate you that's when you know it's you so it's me it's me it's not you guys it's me um, I just whatever it is that I do or whoever I appeal to it's uh, you know it's not working it works for some of you, and I appreciate that. And uh, but it's it's not working the way it needs to work. So, uh, if you're praying, folk, let's pray for half blackface. Let's hope that it's it's the iconic game changer that I think it could be, even though it probably won't be. Um, but I hope 
I hope as many, you know, if you're tight with the money or money is tight, it's all good. But my God, if every fucking fan that I have, friend, fan, and relative, if this thing isn't the one thing that you fucking shell out 10 bucks for, then then I have to quit because if I can't make the people who are already supporting me either via friendship, bloodlines, or being fans, if this thing can't at least move units so that I know my fan base is in, even if it doesn't move me culturally or in the landscape of the industry, if the people who are fans of mine don't get this, you know, that then that's that's the nail in the coffin. As as and as depressing as that sounds, I think you you have to agree. If the if the biggest comedy thing you ever make doesn't sell among your fans, then then your fans are they can still be fans, but they're not. If they're the difference between having a hobby and having a career, and then you have to just say, do I want to have a hobby in comedy? And the answer for me is a resounding no. So um, that was a weird way of saying good news, guys. October 14th, (laughs) I may secure the rights to my special after a fucking year. (sighs) But it actually helped me. It eased my mind, as, as funny as that may sound. After sending that email, I had like a pleasant weekend because my mind was like finally not obsessed with it. It felt like there was an end game in sight. And that actually gave me a couple of days of, of peace. And I said, when the feelings of peace uh, recede, do a Righteous Prick podcast and make them feel that that beautiful feeling of desperation and despair all over again. Not afraid of coming back with a dramatic, depressing monologue. Guys, I do have lots of shows coming up this fall. Wait, JL, you were just saying your career is dead. It pretty much is, folks. Most of the chains that I worked in 2021, I didn't sell a lot of tickets. So I'm not getting replies from the improvs, from Utah, from all the dozen clubs I've worked across the East Coast. Um, none of them are, almost none of them are getting back to me. Um, so, you know, that's how this works. You get famous, the clubs give you a chance. They may say you were really funny. But that fades when they look at the books. Like they may remember that night, like he was really good. And then they look at the books and go, I don't think he was that good. And then they don't reply to your emails again. So the point being, um, it's a circle of death. It's a circle of death. You will get famous. But when you don't sell tickets, they don't reply anymore. That It didn't work. I'm sorry. It didn't. The circle of death didn't work. I thought I could maybe uh, spontaneously drop some Elton John bars, but I failed. Just like everything I do in this business, I got a big fat red F with a circle around it for fucked. Um, but yeah, I do have a bunch of gigs coming up in the fall. Uh, mostly like a few out of town, but a lot of like East Coast because obviously I have to work. I gave up all my vacation days for my apparently one and only tour. <laughs> the <laughs> the intro and farewell tour of 2022, J.O. Covan. You'll never see him again because the clubs won't book him. Um, but yeah, what are my gigs? Um, my, my, my diveshes, if you're longtime listeners, you know what that is. Um, uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, here we go. I'm in York, Pennsylvania with friend of the show, friend in real life, Chris Lamberth on uh, uh, Friday, October 14th. Ticket link is on my website, 7.30 p.m. at some theater in York, Pennsylvania. Should be fun. Should uh, should be fun. That's what I'll say. Then I'm in uh, Nyack for a political fundraiser for the Clarkstown Democratic Committee. So if you are, uh, Pete Dominic is, is opening for me. He's the one who booked me as the headliner. So... The tickets are more expensive, but I don't even think I'm getting paid for this. I might just get like my travel money. So they'll, maybe they'll buy me like $10. Excuse me. They'll, they'll give me like a $20 gift card for Lyft and pay for my New Jersey transit tickets. But it's in Nyack um, on the 15th fundraiser. So if you're in the uh, vicinity of Nyack, New York, and you're a Democrat, um, tickets are obviously more expensive because it's a fundraiser. I think the cheapest ticket is 80 bucks, but it's, like I said, it's not It's not even going to me. So if you want to see me and you want to give to a Democratic cause, October 15th in Nyack. So you got York, Pennsylvania on the 14th, Nyack on the 15th. 
I am at Catch a Rising Star in Princeton, New Jersey on the 28th and 29th of October. So that's fun. Ticket link is up on my website right now. Um, then the big return for all my Detroit area, Ann Arbor, Michigan folk. Ann Arbor, November 11th and 12th. Ticket link is coming this week, I believe. Um, but I'm at Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase for three shows uh, on the 11th and 12th of November. On November 23rd, my upstate New York people, uh, Syracuse Funny Bone, the day before Thanksgiving. So if you're headed home to see the family in, in the Rochester, Syracuse area, bring everybody out. That is a gig where I got the scary warning. Here's the deal. I'll break down the finances for you. I get 80% of the door. Now, if I sold 300 tickets, I'd be walking out of there with a lot of fucking money. But if I don't sell at least like 50 tickets, they might cancel the show. And my hotels.com is not refundable. So now, that would that be on brand? Of course. That I lose money on a gig I can't even do? That would be very... But they'll probably paper the room with free tickets. But the point is... If anybody and everybody who lives in upstate New York that you know, spread the word. Are they fans of anything I do? Are you a fan of anything I do? Syracuse Funny Bone, night before Thanksgiving. It's often a night where people go out and have fun catching up with family and friends back in the hometown. So if, so please, my God, get tickets to that. The link is on my website. Um, and uh, I do have a show at a theater in Mamaroneck on December 17th. Uh, Al Lubell and I are performing. Al Lubell, very funny guy. Not a household name, but a really funny comic. Old veteran comic, but really like witty and funny. Um, so if you're anywhere near Mamaroneck, uh, we're doing a theater show. The ticket link is on my website. I forget the name of the theater, but it's on my website. Um, and I just got a, literally during this podcast, I got a notice that uh, I will probably be booked uh, at the Bel um, the Brokerage Comedy Club in Belmore, Long Island on October 21st and 22nd. So that'll be fun because um, that will pay and it's easy to get to for me. And um, yeah, I always like, I do enjoy that comedy club and I've been on a winning streak in Long Island, shocker of shockers. But uh, yeah, so um, that's, I guess, the best I can do. I, I, that is actually a decent amount of gigs that I've, I've managed to force people to give me. But you know, the big question is, do I do another tour of the country? It seems unlikely because I'm not getting the gigs booked again. Um, that's what you get. You get one, a lot of time you get one shot in this business. And, you know, they gave me a shot. I think I was good. I performed well. But, you know, comedy clubs are a business. And all I can ask them is for one shot. And a lot of the clubs gave me one shot. And most of the shows sold poorly. So that's the way it is. And I'm kind of, you know, trying to be resigned to that and understanding. So, And, and the point is... For all my hostility at a lot of people and the way I come off sometimes, the truth is in calmer moments like right now, it's really me. I'm questioning myself. I'm questioning whether I should keep doing this because um, I'm just not very happy. And I know there's other things in my life that could make me happy if I didn't have comedy like looming over me like a, like a you know, like just very fr it's a, it's like a permanent state of frustration um and you know we'll see we'll see what half blackface does i'm proud of it i'm really excited to as as much as i don't sound excited i'm excited for it to come out because it will either be received well and make me a lot of money or maybe it will be received poorly but my fans will still buy it and make me some money or it won't be and i can just say hey i'm proud of it I'm proud of the career I've had. I'm not happy with the career I've had, but I'm proud of it. Like, because I, I feel like I did it the right way. Um, maybe not in my personal relationships and the way I respond to people all the time, but in terms of just honoring the art and the work um, of stand-up comedy, I think I've, I've done an exceptional job uh, on that front. And it's, it's a different business now. It's, 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 it's fucking with algorithms. It's, being on the right side of issues. It's being friends with the right people and promoting the right things. And I don't want to do any of that. Um, I'm just proud of the jokes I've written and the work I've done. And the fact that like I had a funny exchange with Christopher Titus on Twitter because somebody, a fan asked me like, they were like, Hey, I've been reading your blog. It's so funny, but I was disappointed. You don't see, I have any t-shirts. And I said, I don't, I don't sell t-shirts. Somebody in this business has to have integrity still. <laughs> and 
it's a catch. It's it's sort of a, a thing with me with t-shirts. I, I we sold t-shirts for making podcasts great again, but those were like novelty items to support the show. It wasn't like a I'm trying to make ends meet, and I have the luxury of having a day job. I didn't always have a day job when I was struggling in comedy, but I have a good day job. I have money in the bank, so I don't have to be. If comedy were my only existence, you know, maybe I would be selling t-shirts because feeding yourself and paying your rent trumps integrity artistic integrity that's that's i can appreciate that but i'm in a com- i'm in a position and that, and that i've put myself in this position so i don't want people to act like it's an accident but i've put myself in the position of not having to sell t-shirts on the road but of course if i sold t-shirts for twenty dollars they would sell much better than my albums which i used to sell i sell all six of my albums now for 40 bucks on a usb card so those sometimes sell but they don't sell as well because they're a little expensive but when I sold three albums for 20 bucks, I would sell, some clubs would buy, a lot of people would buy them, but basically I was in a position of watching somebody sell like $20 t-shirts with one joke on them and I'm selling three albums for 20 bucks and selling less. And I don't know what it is in our, is it drunk people? Is it just they've been conditioned to look for like knickknacks and souvenirs and not comedy? But I, I don't want to sell t-shirts. And I... Could that change if I ever became like Dane Cook or Sebastian Maniscalco big? Well, then your your shows are basically concerts. So you're selling mementos of like the experience. You're not selling like a joke that says, uh, fuck your mother. <laughs> Let me get three of those in double XL. No, you're selling like mementos to fans of like the experience and, the, and, and you're big enough that like you have a brand. I don't have a brand. I barely have a career. So I don't want to sell t-shirts. I want to sell my comedy and it's a catch-22 of like, could I make more money if I sold T-shirts? Yes. Do I want to sell T-shirts? No. I want to sell my comedy. I'm not a T-shirt salesman. I'm not Spencer's Gifts. I'm J.O. Covan. But um, that's, a, you know, so Christopher Titus replied and said, yes, because that's what the entertainment industry is full of, integrity. And then he wrote, get my T-shirts on my website. And I thought that was funny. But Christopher Titus is also somebody who honestly is much closer to the Maniscalco Dane Cook level of fame and brand than I am. And I told the person nicely who asked because I appreciated them they reading my blog and signing up for the monthly newsletter so they know when my live shows are. But I basically said, the truth is, I need people to come to my shows and buy my albums. And if, I, if those numbers ever get big enough, I'll reconsider selling t-shirts because maybe I'll be somebody who can sell like brand t-shirts and not just jokey t-shirts. And I don't begrudge anybody who actually does sell the t-shirts. Like I said, I'm in the position, I'm in the position, I've put myself in the position of having enough money where I don't have to sell things that I don't feel like selling. But some people, it's the difference between paying your rent or not. And I would never tell those people like, you sell, no, of course, plenty of comics sell t-shirts. I'm always confused by like millionaire headliners who sell t-shirts. I'm like, why? If they're, if they're not like the Dane Cook level, I'm like, what? Why? I mean, oh, you made an extra three grand. I know, but don't you not want to be a t-shirt salesman? Don't, doesn't, isn't there any money that will be make it worth it to be like, I just want to meet fans. I don't want to be a salesman after a show. The club is paying me 25 grand this weekend. That's enough. I don't need the extra 2,500 of t-shirt sales, but I don't know. That's, that's maybe been one of my Achilles heels is not having that hustle all day every day mentality hard work and hustle are two different skill sets and i know that i don't have the hustle gene but uh and it's pronounced jean by the way um but so as a funny exchange about t-shirts but i told the, the fan i said i don't want to put the uh the the t-shirt cart before the career horse like i gotta get where i'm i gotta get where i want to be first i don't want to be a, i don't want to be scrounging out pennies and dollars like you know like 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 a like i'm a like a porn star whose dick is about to go limp or whose you know breast augmentation got botched i'm like i don't want to i don't want to do any more gigs that that make me feel bad just because i don't think i'll be able to make money anymore um so that's why i don't sell t-shirts like I think seeing people out sell more t-shirts than I sold albums after gigs sometimes only hardened my resolve to be like, I never want to do that. I don't want to be part of that. Um, but that's me. And, uh, you know, that was just, I don't know. That was, uh, 
a story about t-shirts guys uh but what else what else is going on if you're still listening we're really back with a bang uh, aren't we this this episode this is this is intense but yeah you got your show updates you got your career and special updates Check out my Patreon, JL, patreon.com slash J-L-C-A-U-V-I-N. It's very good stuff. I, I, that's my only endorsement is that if you like my podcast or my videos, you will like the exclusive stuff that's on the Patreon. And it is a lot. I'm, I'm putting up a lot of stuff each month. And not to, not to brag, but I'm breaking even on it. So I'm not like... I'm not killing it on Patreon um, because I'm spending money on editing and things like that. So like I end up usually breaking even each month on my Patreon stuff, which, you know, like I said, I want to build up a nice library. I don't want to lose money. But but once again, if the special blows up, I want this infrastructure in place to capitalize and, and, and knowing that the special would be attracting stand-up fans like any new fans that come to me from the special if i'm lucky enough to to get new fans from it would be comedy stand-up comedy fans it wouldn't be this mishmash of bored people and impressions fans and social media people who like scrolling through it would be com stand-up fans and i think those people might be inclined to be like oh i want to check out other stuff he's done because now it's not just bored people it's somebody who sat down for an hour and realized that they had just watched an excellent special from a comedian they may not have known or may have known me in passing for impressions or something else and been like whoa this guy's pretty good um so that's that's the business um bullshit um i guess i should end with some reviews uh yeah let's do that shall we okay i will um and by the way uh as another reminder if you're a house of the dragon fan the game of thrones spinoff prequel um just posted my uh recap uh, also those are very good so those are um, another item that's going in the patreon is my weekly recaps of uh house of the dragon if you're interested if, if that's if that's an element that might interest you in going and joining that so the 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 Patreon um, link will be in uh, the show notes for this show uh, if you're so inclined. And if not, that's okay. Thanks for listening to the show at least. Um, so two movies I saw, I reviewed them. Um, they were supposed to be up on the Making Podcast Great Again Patreon um, this weekend, but um, I was vetoed. Quick edit. <laughs> Let myself get away from myself briefly there. But uh, let's talk about two movies that I saw. This weekend, I saw Blonde on Netflix, the nine hour and 17 uh, softcore porn starring Ana de Armas about Marilyn Monroe. And I saw Bros, the uh, two hour comedic softcore porn starring Billy Eichner. Um, it was kind of funny because I thought like if you told somebody, oh, I'm watching Blonde and Bros, they would just assume it was some sort of gangbang white uh, gangbang uh, white people porn. Right. Like they were just Blonde and Bros. It's just. Uh, watch Blondie go to a college frat party and get more than she bargained for in this awesome romp. <laughs> uh, but Blonde and Bros, those are the two movies I saw this weekend. Uh, I watched Blonde on Friday on Netflix. And I don't think it was as bad as critics made it out. Critics were hammering it. Um, and I just think as it didn't strike me as a particularly great, it was graphic, but it was graphic because it was, I think, just this iconic, beautiful actress who Marilyn Monroe, who's just like for two and a half hours in the movie, she's just treated like shit. And even the relationship, um, the, the three-way relationship she was in that seems to make her happy and kind of has the sex positive and very modern feel to it. We're a thruple, aren't we? People can judge us, but we're happy. And Marilyn was kind of happy, it seemed. Even that late in the movie, you realize was like, oh, no, they, everybody, every man was terrible. It just takes longer to find out, except for Arthur Miller. If I'm just reviewing, you know, Arthur Miller, the playwright, was one of uh, Marilyn Monroe's many husbands. But he was the only one. But it almost seemed like she wasn't into him because she was like, uh, he's just like an old skinny uh, playwright. And maybe she was like not looking for that. But he was at least nice to her. He didn't seem mean. He seemed kind of fatherly. And she called all her her husband's daddy, which is not creepy at all. Um, but it was just an OK movie. It was very long. I think. Um, I've said this repeatedly, but after seeing the movie Pleasure on Showtime, the unrated version, which is, I think, a pretty solid movie, but it is, you know, 
it shares 94% of the DNA of a hardcore porn. Like hard dicks, limp dicks, a lot of grinding, a lot of spitting and choking. And uh, you just basically don't see ejaculation, although you see ejaculate, but you don't see ejaculation and you don't see penetration. That's really it. It was more hardcore than any softcore Cinemax or Showtime movie I've ever seen. It was way more hardcore than that. So just to give you an idea. But after seeing Pleasure, which was, I think, a pretty solidly made movie, if you just, you know, but obviously if it was not taking place in the world of porn, it'd be like, well, but this is just like a kind of a useless movie. But I guess it's the expose and the kind of showing the sides of porn that make it interesting. But after seeing that movie, it's hard to watch Marilyn and be like, this is so intense. It was like, the most intense thing is just how bad the men were in the movie. I didn't, I didn't, you know, Anna de Armas is topless for like, feels like about 20% of the movie, um, which is about how long, which is, which is also the same percentage that her native accent slips <laughs> in the, her nips and her accent both slip about 20% of the movie. Um, it was very Van Damme and Bloodsport level. Like at some points I was just like, do you not hear her talking clearly in a like whatever her native Spanish accent is? Do you not you not hear that slipping through pretty strongly? It was like the accent was tight for the first half of the movie, and then it was just like, "What do you do?" The is it what? What was that? <laughs> hey, I don't think I want to go to the movies tonight. What? What? Could you, could you do that scene again? I know you're, I know it's hard to you know to get choked um, by by. JFK's dick while keeping an American accent, but could you try a little harder on the Damers? And it, I talked about this. There was a bonus episode um, while you guys were away. There was a bonus episode on the Patreon that it called "Working with Anna De Armas." Um, I suggest you go listen to that if you are a patron or if you're going to become a patron. Um, I don't need to go into all that, but it turned out to be pretty correct. My assumptions were like, "Oh, it's yeah, it's a bad movie, but you're you're also going to be working with one of the hottest women in Hollywood, and it's going to be a lot of a lot of hands on, a lot of grinding, a lot of kissing and." nudity with Ana de Armas so uh, what do you say do you want to sign up for this 38% on Rotten Tomatoes but uh, leave with a boner sure for the acting for the craft of course but go listen to that bonus episode if you want a real full it was done before I watched Blondes but it was uh, pretty on point but it was not as bad a movie as everybody said it was like okay like, I think there was some artistic merit to it. And I think the director actually did some very nice things with the movie. But um, I also feel like because the critics were savaging it so much, they felt the need to compensate to be like, but Ana de Armas is very good. And I feel like that's like sympathy because I think she's not as good as the critics made her out. And the movie is not as bad as the critics made out. But I feel like they were overcompensating like, but this if we say the movie's bad and we don't praise Ana de Armas, it will make us feel like we just watched a two and hour and 45 minute exploitation of a hot young actress. Like we will have just watched a young actress get fucked and abused for two and a half hours um, with nothing to show for it, which is ironically sort of what the movie's saying about Marilyn Monroe. And so we're going to say she was amazing because then we, our consciences will feel better about watching this woman get abused and exploited for two hours and 45 minutes because she did a good job. Whew, for a second, I was going to feel guilty about watching Ana de Armas prance around naked and get abused. But um, it turns out now I feel good about myself because I said she gave a good performance, even though the performance was not actually as good as I'm saying, if I actually think about it. But I'm not going to think about it because I want to go to another movie um, and not think about Blonde anymore. So that's what I think was going on with a lot of critics. And then I went to the theater to see Bros. Now, I know I've complained on this show about many things, but about, um, in particular, my nephew be feeling like he's sort of culturally stunted when it comes to comedy. And um, this was a movie where I said, well, it's a Judd Apatow movie. It's it's a big comedy. It's a theatrical release. I got to support this because this is the kind of movie I want to see more movies in the theater. And I heard Billy Eichner, who's the, the writer and star of, of Bros. I heard him in an interview on the New Yorker podcast last week, um, basically talking about how he's a huge fan of stand up uh, of rom coms. And he wanted like his own kind of 
gay rom-com added to the canon of rom-coms. Like he likes all the traditional ones, Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Saturday, those types of movies that are a little cliche, but were funny and fun and had their like had their heyday in like the 80s and 90s. And he wanted to make his own, which is admirable. And I respect that. And I think it's it's also a good thing to be like, yeah, gay people have romance, too. What a shock. Um, so I appreciated that. And I also appreciate what he said about like now studios are all like, well, comedies, it's cheaper to just put them on demand. But he was like, but what about the collective experience of going to a big comedy and being in a room full of strangers and laughing? And in my head, I was like, well, that's also called stand up comedy. So I wish some people would go see me do that. But point taken, Billy Eichner. And I thought, yeah, I've been saying that too. I'm like, where are all the big ticket comedies? They don't, they, it's like the only comedy you get in a theater now is, 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 you know, Thor and Iron Man making quips during Marvel movies. Um, so I, uh, I went to see it. Uh, was it opening night or Saturday? We had to see it Saturday night, me and the Righteous GF. We sat down and uh, theater was about two thirds full. Um, decent number of gay men. Some some women, some fruit flies hanging with them. And uh, that's a joke. Is that offensive? Because it's, it's, I thought that was the acceptable replacement to F-hag, which obviously is not acceptable um, for someone like me to say. But fruit fly was like the substitute. But I don't know. That might be, that might be offensive. If it's offensive, uh, then I won't say it again. But you get what I'm saying. Um, and we watched it. And I genuinely thought it was Judd Apatow's worst movie. Um, I, there were scenes I laughed at, but it felt, now I'm not a gay man, but I felt like the, it felt sanitized to me. Like, not that I was looking to run into the movie and be like, where are the dicks? (laughs) But I thought it was going to be like an R rated raunchy gay comedy, which would be challenging. I get that that would be challenging, but it's also like the eighties were full of date rapey, raunchy comedies for young men, heterosexual men to enjoy. So I thought 30 years, 40 years later, they might actually just do like a, you know, like I just thought it was going to be raunchier. Not, and like I said, not that I was like, I want, but the tone, like in other words, the tone of the movie could have been overall raunchier. And for me, the funniest scenes were the sex scenes because they felt like they were exposing the biggest funny, like that, like when he's had, there's a scene where he's having like some kind of, playful rough sex with the new guy that the, the like romantic the other romantic lead in the movie very handsome dude um uh mike pence reviews bros on the patreon whenever that is deemed worthy to go up on our making podcast great again uh, patreon but um that's funny and at first i was like it's it's like you're seeing two like men just making out and slapping and grabbing each other and you're like eh. but they did it in a funny way that it was like this is kind of the tone I thought would be for the movie. And then there's a, a, a foursome in the movie that's hilarious because like one of the dudes is like not wanted in the, in the foursome. And so you're getting like the intimacy, but you're, but you're getting like killer humor. So it's like those were the scenes I laughed most at, which I thought, and maybe it's the relief. Maybe it's like, oh boy, this is going to be weird watching. And I know, I'm sure some of you are like, oh, that's so immature. No, let's just be honest. I'm not looking to see gay dudes have sex. But, so I'm wondering if the, the if there was like a subconscious tension that, that that made the humor even funnier, which is of course what good comedy does. It builds some kind of tension and then you left. But of course, there were gay men in the theater laughing their asses off at that too. And they wouldn't have that same subconscious tension if, if it even exists in me. But I think the, the scenes were just that funny. And that's the tone I kind of was looking for from the whole movie. Like more irreverent, less educating straight people about gay culture. Like, first of all, there, was a lot, there were a lot of bad actors in the movie. Not the main people, but there were plenty of like, in my mind, I was like, okay, it's one thing, and I've had this, I've made jokes about this, and Rod on the Black Eye Tips has, has referenced this, but, you know, the lack of opportunities for trans actors, of course, would lead potentially to some actors not being as trained or as experienced. So maybe in a season one of Pose, as I have said, you see some really mediocre acting from some people. But opportunities have to be opened up at some point so that people can get better, more exposure, more 
more opportunities. But when it comes to like gay like gay performers, I'm like, no, that's not the same as trans. There's there's there is an overflow of like talented gay actors and performers. So it's weird when you're watching a movie and you're like half of these actors in this scene feel like cameos of people who have no acting skill. And I, I'm sorry if that's insulting, but it's a review. And that confused me because I was like, but but you could find a bunch of like really funny, good gay actors. I, maybe you don't want to go with all the cliches. Maybe you don't want Mario Cantone, who everybody knows or whatever. Maybe you want to go with some unknown or lesser represented people. But I just felt like in some scenes, I was like, plenty of these people are like, not good comedic actors and it just felt weird it was like in this case that is on you it's not for lack of opportunity for gay people in hollywood like there are plenty to choose from maybe it's not as much as it should be but like it's not like trans actors where it's this much much smaller uh underrepresented under under accepted population so that was just one critique where i was like like this scene seems to have several bad Act, like almost like it was just like oh I put my real friends in the movie and they're not actors and it shows I don't I don't know why that was but the other um, exam like the other thing was like there are a lot of scenes where it's like hey we're now as a couple we're dating Tim and then Billy Eichner's like wait so what is that is that like and they're like we're a thruple and he's like so what do you do in a thruple do you and I was like is this for like progressive or centrist grandmothers who are coming to the movie who need to be walked through like modern dating and social media terminology because it felt the exposition was so like blunt and and brutal it was like just it was like distracting from the the story so that was like the opening of the movie that was like the first 15 or 20 minutes of the movie but then there's there are good scenes there's funny scenes there's good scenes but it's also I thought at the end of the movie, it felt like, oh, but you did go the incredibly traditional route with this movie. Like you did go super traditional and cliche rom-com. And maybe that's what he wanted. Maybe he was just like, I want a cliche rom-com. I like those. And I want it to feature a gay story. That's okay. But it doesn't mean that it's, that it makes for a good movie. Like, and I was, I was shocked. I was genuinely shocked when I looked at the Rotten Tomatoes score and saw it was like 91% or something. I was like, I, unbelievable. Because I genuinely think it's Judd Apatow's worst movie. And I saw this because I thought the preview looked funny. And I was interested in seeing a big theater comedy, like a big comedy opening in movie theaters. Like, I think that's important for the future of comedy. Um, but... I was I was like genuinely stunned. I, I really thought I was going to open the reviews and be like, oh, it's 61% or like 58%, like teetering on rotten or just below or just above. But to see that it was like almost universally praised, I was like, I'm sorry, that's that's ridiculous. And I know representation and I know, and I'm not, if somebody enjoys it for reasons other than the humor or the acting, I get it. And if you want, like I want to support it because it's a big tent comedy. It's a big movie. It's a big theater comedy. Other people might want to support it because they want to see more gay love stories. Like we all have some agenda. I had an agenda going into the movie, but I wanted it to be good. Like I didn't see it for a homework assignment. I was like, yeah, I, I think it's going to be funny. And then I watched it. And I was like, this this is like at like for the first half hour, I was like, this feels kind of low budget. Like regardless of what the budget is, it shouldn't feel low budget. And by the end of it, I was like, yeah, there were some scenes I liked like. There were some really funny scenes, but overall it wasn't a great movie at all. And there were some things that like made me cringe just because uh, from a comedy level. But uh, but I don't know. I I, 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 I I don't sometimes it's it just becomes difficult to be like, yeah, I thought it kind of stunk. But I went like that's the thing. I went to the theater not to see a shitty movie. I went to the theater because I thought it was going to be good. That's like the level of allyship you get. If you look like you made a good movie, I'll go see it, whatever it's about. Um, but it ends there. If it's not good, I can't then go, but I thought it was very important. I'm, I'm done with the important movie that isn't good. Like if it's, I can acknowledge when a movie's important and I think bros has its place to be a sort of bro, like, like I, I'm not gonna lie. I really liked, um, 
I really liked Trainwreck with Amy Schumer. Um, and I thought that was the rom-com from the angle of like young, I'm using this term as a joke, but like young slut. Like it's the rom-com for a young slut. I'm only using that to be brief, not as a pejorative. And I thought it was re- I thought I thought it was really good. And yes, it had it was sort of it had its conventions and its cliches, but I felt like it was much funnier, much better performed, and you know, I felt like I'd seen a really funny comedy from a, a, a different perspective than the normal rom com at the time, and that's what I was kind of looking for from Bros. And I felt like I got. Oh, not as well, not nearly as well executed and more cliches than than like something like Trainwreck. So, um, yeah, I guess there are your reviews. Um, I'll talk about the, the 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 trailer for I talked about it on a Patreon episode or a live chat on the Patreon. Uh, the Emmett Till trailer the till I wanted to see till until I saw the trailer. Oh, boy. Um, it felt like a direct response to social media outrage from some black people. Where it was like, why do we always have to see the trauma? And I was like, in my mind, I was like, this seems like the perfect time with all the Republicans basically fighting history. A perfect time to show a historical event that shaped our country, no matter how traumatic it was. And in the trailer, first of all, you know, it's I'm, I'm sorry to say this. I'd be shocked if Till is a good movie. Um, when I saw they were making a movie, I thought it was going to be a sort of gut-wrenching brutal movie not that i'm it it would only have one scene of gut-wrenching violence but it was like it's kind of critical and to the story to the to the history of the of the the country and i saw a lot of complaints of the why do we have to show trauma and i the best comments i thought was we don't have to see it but this movie should get made and i agreed i was like if you don't want to see the the black trauma i understand but to act like a movie about Emmett Till shouldn't get made because it's dramatic whilst while Republicans are sh- like trying to shut down basic civil rights and racial education, uh, it feels very necessary for the country. If, if it's not necessary for all communities within the country, it seems very necessary for the country as a whole. And But in the trailer, it's mostly interviews. It's like not a lot of movie footage. And that's usually a bad sign when it's like the producers and writers and actors are like, why I did this movie, I think it needs to... Because you're leaning already into the importance over the cinema. And then I just kind of, I couldn't help it. I kind of sighed when when one of the, the writer or the director was like, we will not be showing any violence on black people in this movie. And I was like, uh, why? Like, I, I mean, I, I, I know the answer why, but I was like, the people complaining on social media about why do they have to show black trauma, they're not going to go see this movie if you tell them you've removed the trauma. The story is still traumatic. So you've just softened the movie potentially for, or, or you're, tele, you're, you're, you're telegraphing that you're softening the movie or that it already was soft to appease people who probably weren't going to go see the movie anyway. And to me, I'm sorry. That's, I'm not, like like I said, I don't go to bros to see dicks and I don't go to see Till to see a lynching. But I kind of expected both. <laughs> I kind of expect both from those movies. If you're telling me it's a raunchy gay comedy and then it's not really raunchy, I'm like, Eh, the tone is a little more family friendly than I expected. I expected a more balls to the walls, pun intended, comedy. And with Emmett Till, as gruesome, brutal, and, and upsetting as that story is, um, this is not the time in our history to go soft on our history, in my opinion. So I don't think, I mean, unless the reviews are great, but now, as I said with bros, you can't really trust the reviews. Blonde was not as bad as the critics said. I don't think it was that good, but it was certainly not an abomination. And bros was not nearly as good as the critics are making it. So at this point, it seems like, is there any point in really even trusting Rotten Tomatoes? Because we, you know, I'm not one to complain about agendas most often, but it feels like agendas are starting to really affect some reviews like if you're seeing a, a movie that isn't aimed at a special community or incident maybe you don't get uh as you get more unbiased reviews but but it seems like you know 
if a conservative made a great movie today, would it get good reviews? And I'm not one of the, you know, you know me, guys, but I'm just wondering because I start to see some movies like that. It almost feels like critics are afraid to bash it or to, to, to be more critical of it if it hits certain things. And I understand why, but it your job is not your job is to judge the movie, not to judge the community's engagement with the movie. But who knows? But I, if Till gets great reviews, maybe I'll see it. But man, that that trailer, both the format of the trailer, just interviewing everybody involved in the movie, but showing me very little of the movie, usually a bad sign. Like when 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 Jim Carrey did the movie The Majestic, which was like considered one of the worst movies of the year when it came out. The trailers and the pit and the, the commercials were all like Jim Carrey talking about them. He's like, well, when I was asked to do this movie, I thought this is like my own opportunity to do. And I was like, oh, oh, bad sign. But when the director or writer said, we will be showing no violence on black people in this movie, I was like, that feels like a major component of Emmett Till's tragedy that's going to be missing. Um, but, you know. It's their art. They can make the choice they want that they're comfortable with. I just hope it was their choice and not sort of a pressure campaign to like re-edit because of social media complaints about violence and trauma. But maybe we'll never know. And I think that's enough of me this week. Good Lord. Um, the, the clock is ticking, guys. The Righteous Prick making podcasts great again. Um, you know, it all all great journeys must come to an end and who knows? We we might be at the uh, you know the Ozymandias phase of my Breaking Bad comedy career, uh, or we might not. But or maybe we'll have a Better Call Saul. Maybe we'll have a, another rebirth. But that's enough complaining, talking, reviewing, etc. Thank you for listening. I hope you missed me, and I hope you, you I hope you're still happy with me even after this very um, fairly downer of an episode but uh i missed you guys check out the patreon come to a gig if you're near any of the gigs and uh you know support comedy support real stand-up comedy or or in, if, if you're not a if you've never been a fan of stand-up comedy but you're a fan of something i do and you you fell upon this podcast and you're still listening go check out some stand-up comedy whether it's mine or someone else because it's uh when it's done well it's real good so thank you for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe, and I will see you next Tuesday. Black and